Good morning. It is a uh, great joy to be with you. It's been fun. I've really uh, been blessed by my time with you. A sweet church. Um, love to be with God's people. Is excited about worship this morning and glad to be with you. So thanks for the invite. It was a real joy and a privilege to be with you, to share as God's leading you on this journey of missions. It will be, I'm glad to, to know Mark and that we'll have an ongoing relationship to see how the Lord leads and where that journey leads to. So this morning, I'd like us to look at uh, Third John. Third John, I believe it's on page 1026 of your scriptures. We're just going to read verses 1 through 8 of this one chapter letter, very short letter. Uh, a lot of scholars think it was simply a cover letter for First and Second John, that he sent this message and this was kind of like a cover letter to introduce what he was talking about. But this is the word of the Lord, Third John, uh, verses 1 through 8. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. But I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we, we may become fellow workers of the truth. This is the word of God. As we step into this letter, I kind of want to give you a kind of a, a, a who are the characters that we're talking about, what's the situation look like. It'll help us as we walk through the letter and understand it. So we have, of course, John is the elder. He's the author of this message, and he's in a church in what's called in modern-day Turkey maybe on an island off the, the uh, Turkey or maybe on Turkey itself, but he's in, in a church. And he has sent a group of evangelists or missionaries to Gaius, who's in another area of modern-day Turkey, who has a church. And so John sent these evangelists there. They went there. That, that was kind of their home station. They, the people in, in Gaius' church hosted them, had them in their homes, and they used that kind of a launching pad to go out and do ministry in the area. So now these evangelists return back to John's church, and they've given a great report to John. So that uh, they have received us, they have loved us well. So now John is sending back these evangelists back one more time. It's time for another short-term trip. And they're going to go, and he's sending this letter to Gaius, please receive them like you did last time. And as we'll see, there was a little bit of controversy that went on in the church, in Gaius's church. He says, please receive them and bless them and help them in their ministry. So that's what this letter is really about. So those are the characters that we'll be talking about. So today, I'd simply like to talk a very, very simple outline. What is missions? Who's involved in missions, and why do we do missions? Very simple, what is missions? 
who's involved in missions, and that's where we'll spend the bulk of our time, and then finally, why should we be involved in missions? So what is missions? When we talk about missions and missionaries and things like that, what are we talking about? Verse 7 really gives us the kind of a, a, just a key definition, kind of a really uh, condensed definition. Look what it says. Those who, what, who go out, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. First of all, missionaries go out. They leave the comfort of their home. They leave the comfort of their church. They leave the culture that they know. They need, may leave the language that they know that they're familiar with. They go out from where they are, and they leave the comfort. They go out, why? Secondly, they go out for the sake of the name. They don't go out for adventure. They don't go out for, to find a new place. They go out for the sake of the name. It's really to honor and to present Christ and to show a lost and needy world there is one who God has sent for you, Christ Jesus our Lord. It's really what keeps missionaries on the field. All the things that they go through and the difficulties, if it weren't for the honor and glory of Christ and Christ ministering to them, they probably would come back after just a few years, as, as some do. So they go out for the sake of the name and finally to the lost. Right At the end of verse 7 it says, for the, they go out <clears throat> to the Gentiles. Now the word used here really means a... Uh, Pagans. It's a different word than just a God-fear. It's really the pagans, those who really have no idea of the gospel. They haven't heard it. They're not familiar with it in any ways. They are pagan unbelievers. It's what we might call today unreached people or least-reached people, those who haven't heard or who have barely heard the gospel. So there you have it. What are we talking about today? Those who go out for the sake of the name to the lost. Very simple definition that John gives us on what we're talking about when we talk about missions. So secondly, who? Who's involved in the missionary endeavor? Who does John tell us is involved in the missionary endeavor? Now, John, remember, John said these missionaries went out from their church to Gaius' church. Then they returned, and they gave this glowing report. John, this church, Gaius' church and the people there hosted us, cared for us, provided for us. They were amazing. They loved us well. They, had, they were uh, a, an integral part in the success of our ministry. So we see that missions, who's involved in missions? Not just those who go out. It's the church. It's John's church that sends. It's Gaius' church that receives and cares for them. It's the whole church that is involved in the work of missions. And so how is the church, if, if we are all involved, if we all have a role in the work of missions, how do we do that? John gives us some very, very practical ideas, and I really want to kind of camp on these ideas uh, for the next few minutes, because I think there are very practical ways as, as Grace Church thinks about how can we be involved in missions. If you look with me in verse 6, it says that John encourages them to send them out. The first role of the church is to send missionaries. Missionaries don't just say, you know, I've got a great idea. Talking to my wife the other day, we're going. We're going to go to Ireland. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to Africa, whatever. We're going to go. No, that's not how missions happens. 
missionaries may have a heart and say, I want to go, but they need to be sent by a church. The verse that we read earlier in the scripture, in the, in the service, Romans 10, 14, and 15, how then will they call, how will unbelievers call on those whom they have not believed? And how, the, how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's the role of the church, the entire church, to send. Yes, there are those who go, but missionaries do not send themselves. They are sent by the church. They need someone to send them. Why? And my wife and I have served on the field for 25 years, and we need the church to send us still. We're not like, okay, we've got this down. We've learned it. Thank you, church. We'll take it from here. No, no, no. A, 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 missionaries need a solid church that will send them as a home base. They need to know what a good church is like. How are they going to plant a new church that's healthy and good if they don't have an idea of what a good church looks like? They need to be sent from a healthy and a good church. They need someone to help them discern their call. Am I called? Am I just having this, this dream that I, you know, this is, is the, the tacos that I ate last night kind of gave me a bad feeling in my stomach or something? You know, how do I discern that? The church helps them to do that. Yeah, you are gifted. You are able. and you, you, You're a great evangelist here. We think you do well overseas. Um, they identify fields. So your church is part of the Kurdistan Partnership. Already beginning to think of fields where you might send people places. Not, not limited to that, but helping them discern where should we go. What should we do? They pray with them beforehand. They support them and encourage them. They identify others who can come alongside with them. The role of the church is so key and so important in sending missionaries. It's the work of the entire church, not only um, a, a single individual to say, I'm going to go. But let me encourage you as a church to think through Begin to investigate, where are some of the greatest needs of the gospel around the world? Where can we as Grace Church serve? And how can you encourage the best, the best and brightest of those that you have to go? Say, so, you know, God has gifted you as teaching. You are a great servant. You're a wonderful evangelist, great hostess, whatever it might be. We want to encourage you to use those gifts in needy parts of the world. That's the role of the church. So they send missionaries. Secondly, they supported them. Look with them. Look with me in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. So John is encouraging us to support them, that missionaries need help and support. And actually, Gaius's church did that in a, in a wonderful way. When John sent these missionaries, they didn't put them in hotels. They didn't put, they hosted them in their homes. They provided food. They provided money for them to go out. They welcomed them in. They cared for them. They made them feel as much as home as they could. Remember, they've left their home, and now they're in a new place. So they support them. Not only do they send them, but they support them. And the meaning here, when John says support them, is financial support. Because the idea in, in, in Roman times, the basic uh, idea was you would have traveling speakers or philosophers. 
So they would, they, what they would do, they'd go to a new town, they'd set up their little table or whatever, or their little room, and they would present a new teaching or a new philosophy. And people would come and, and hear them, and they would pay them. That's how they, and they'd go from town to town, and they would make money by traveling from town to town, offering this new teaching. They'd stay there for a month or two or whatever and collect their money, and people would pay them for doing that. Ah, oh, we want to hear something new. This is wonderful. Here you go. And they would go around, and that's how they would make their money. Now, these evangelists are doing the same thing. They're bringing a new teaching. But the thing is, their new teaching is not going to be well received. They're not going to be able to draw their support from the people that they're speaking to. They don't want to be a burden to the Gentiles that they're going to. So they're saying, John is telling Gaius' church, go support them financially, provide for their financial needs so they don't have to be a burden to the Gentiles. They can stay there as long as they need. So the church is involved in sending and supporting missionaries. But support is not only financial. As a matter of fact, it's much, much more than financial. It's really personal. I can tell you from our experience, my wife and myself, that the, the encouragement, the contact, the notes, the personal support that we get has made all the difference in the world. So how can you as a church be involved in missions? How can you support missionaries more than financially? Pray for them. Ask, say, how can I pray for you? Ask, and that encourages them so much. And, and just a short note uh, written back after you receive a prayer request, we prayed for you today. Can't tell you how much that encourages Sherry's in my heart when we hear that. It's like, yeah, people do care. We're not out here on alone. Everyone's kind of forgotten about us. No, they, they're with us. They're supporting us. They care for us. Remember them in holidays. Here we are at Thanksgiving. Oh, we, Americans love Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. But we're in a strange country that doesn't sell. It's a work day. Everyone's going about their business. No one's thinking about turkey and dressing and what they're getting get together as family. Think about them at holidays, at Christmas. When we went to Egypt, it, it, we arrived in August and, and came our first Christmas. It's Ramadan. So forget anything about Christmas and, and Christmas trees or anything, anything that we're used to and a church service. It's Ramadan and people are fasting and, think, and praying and, and focused on their religion. Remember them at holidays. Send them a card or a note. You, you'd be surprised how important uh, and, and encouraging that is to missionaries. Be curious about their work. Ask them questions. Learn about their work. Learn about the country where they are, the people where they are. All of us love to have somebody write and say, what do you do? And ask questions about us and know about us. Do the same for them. Very, very encouraging. And just be ready to support them and help them when they come home. Help them with their children. Provide babysitting maybe as they need to travel around. Give them a place to stay. I remember um, one man in our church down in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a single man, and he's got a, a fairly big house. And so we stay there quite often when we're back in the summers. He just kind of gives us part of the house, and there we are. And he told a story about uh, a family that was coming back. They, had ser they were serving in Asia. They were just coming back for a few months to go and speak to different churches. And so they had four children, young children, 
And here they are traveling all the way back from, from Asia, back to the States. And of course, when you come back, you arrange your housing and you get all the details taken care of. So they did that. They were very diligent and did all that. They arrived at the airport in Charlotte and they messaged their friend, their contact to say, we're here, we'll be there in a little bit. And they get a message back, uh, sorry, the place where you thought you were gonna stay, I don't know if it's because of sickness or what the reason was, is not available. So here they are at the airport, four little children, having traveled 30-something hours, and they have no place to stay. So they called somebody from the church, and this church called this man Tommy, and they said, listen, we know it's last, very last second. Would you be willing to host him? He said, sure, send him over. So the family comes from the airport, arrives, plops all their bags down. They don't know him. He doesn't know them. And, and as they're kind of talking, you know, introductory, their 10-year-old son, they're sitting in the kitchen, their 10-year-old son goes around every single cabinet, opens up every single one, opens up, slams it closed, everyone looking in every single one. I'm like, if I were that man, I would have said, can you control your son? What is this? I mean, he doesn't even, he doesn't, and the parents are sitting there doing nothing. But the man was quiet. He knew they'd come from a long way, that they were tired. He just said nothing. And so they, they went through the first day, and then the next day the parents said, thank you for your patience with our son. He, uh, he needs to know where he's staying, staying and that it's a safe place. So that's why he was opening every single cabinet. And when he saw it was a safe place and that we were okay, then he felt we could stay here. You have blessed our family, not just by receiving us at the last moment, but, but by being patient with our son. Thank you. That's supporting world missions in a very, very practical way. And that's what John is, called, is commending Gaius and his church to do. And that's what you and I are called to do, not just to send missionaries, but to support them both financially and personally. Finally, they were very active in, in what they did. Uh, in verse 5, if you look as John commends uh, Gaius in the church, he says, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. In all of your efforts. John is saying there are many different ways to be involved in missions. There's not only one specific way, either it's do it this way or sorry, you're not welcome. Each of you have gifts and talents and abilities and resources that God has uniquely given to you. And binding them and combining those together as a church, they can serve even stronger. But we need each individual to be a part to use what you have. Are you great at hosting people? Then host people. Uh, are you an encourager? Are you one who loves to pray? Have you, are you a good teaching? And so someone's on the field and you want to say, listen, I heard this great sermon. I thought it would be an encouragement to you. And you send it to them to encourage. Whatever it is, John is saying, you have been faithful in all your efforts, in all that you have done. So every one of us has a role. Every one of us has a part 
of being involved in world missions. It may be, you may think it's small and insignificant, but it's important to the cause of world missions. And that's what John commends Gaius and his church to do. And I think he's calling us to think through how we can be faithful ministers, how we can each join in and use our gifts, our talents, our resources, whether it's praying, you'll, you'll, right? You have the, uh, the card that Mark mentioned, different ways that you, each of us can serve. What is God calling you to today? Where is he calling you to serve, to join in in this effort so we can be faithful in all our efforts? So who's involved in missions? All of us, the whole church. We, the church sends, the church supports. Yes, there are those who go, but there have to be those who send, there have to be those who support. It's a, it's a team effort. It's a whole body effort if, if missions is gonna be successful. So we talked about what is missions? Who is involved in missions? And finally, why? Why, why should you enjoy, be involved in this endeavor? You know, uh, missionaries like me, what we love to do is say, oh, there's the unreached people of the world and there are thousands without Christ, millions that don't know Christ, and that is all very true. And that is a good reason to go. But that's not the reason John gives. It is a reason from the scriptures. But that is not the reason that John gives why we should be involved in world missions. Really, missions isn't the work for those we serve. John says it's for us. Look with me in verse 8, if you will, the very end part. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. That why? For the purpose of what? that we may become fellow workers of the truth. That missions, being involved in missions, is really for you to join in what God is doing. This is your opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. He said the reason isn't really for reaching the lost. Yes, that, that, is, that, that is a valid goal. But John is saying something different. No, so you can become a fellow worker with God. John's heart is to encourage the church. All the church says, listen, this is a blessing to you to be involved. Scriptures are clear. Our Lord said what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. When you step into this work of what God is doing in the world, you will find yourself blessed in incredible ways. And that's what John is saying. Become a fellow worker. You get the opportunity. You become part of the team. Join in to what God is doing in around the world. Become a fellow worker. That's why we all the things I talk about, praying and babysitting and sending cards and doing and giving and all that such, is so that you can join in the effort of what God is doing and declaring his glory among the nations. What a joy. What a joy. I love it. People who go. A pastor, Gaius, who loves his people. A church that supports and encourages and hosts. And they host strangers that have become fellow workers in the gospel of grace. So, how can Grace Church become like Gaius's church? How can we become fellow workers? 
the answer lies in kind of a, a, it's a clear but barely noticeable ethos or theme that we find in John. It's the theme of God's love. So what do I mean? So look at the, think with me about the flow of the gospel that's happened here. So these, these missionaries went out to the Gentiles, right? They went to the lost. They loved the lost. Well, who loved them? The church, Gaius's church, loved them by supporting them and hosting them. And Gaius loved his church and led them to do that. And then who loved Gaius? Look with me in, in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I loved in the church. John loved Gaius. And then who's John? How does he describe himself in the, in the gospel of John? He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you see the, the, the cascading flow of the love of God that started with God's people? God so loved... <coughs> the world. He loved the world that he what? He gave his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that, Jesus, love, the love of God cascades over into the life of John, the disciple whom he loved, who, cask who flows even further into the life of Gaius and into their church and into these missionaries to the ends of the earth. Grace Church, you're off to a good start in becoming a missions church. Why? Because you're focused on the gracious love of God. This isn't about programs and doing things. Yes, there's cards that you'll fill out. There are things to do. There's work to do. But that work flows from an understanding and an appreciation and being immersed in the love, the gracious love of God that flows from the Father into the heart, through his son, into the church, and out to a world. That's what he's calling us to do. It's the love of God that will compel you not only to fill out that card, but that will keep you faithful. Say, I want to do this because I know the love of God and how he saved me and how he loves me, and I want someone else to know that. Some of you might think, wow, this is quite of a, a, a scary endeavor when you think about it, this missions and talking about China and, and just how dangerous it is there in the Middle East. and I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. It's kind of scary. John would tell you what? Perfect love cast out fear. Again, it's the love of God that compels us. It's the love of God that constrains us, as Paul said. We love why? Because God first loved us. That's why we do missions. You want to be a mission-sending church, and I pray you will. Then know the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Immerse yourself in that love, and then you will find a fountain that overflows from your life into Jerusalem, into Judea, and into the utter parts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love of God, your love, O oh Lord, that surpasses knowledge. O oh Lord God, would you deepen us in your love? We can never, never exhaust it. Bless this church with an increasing, growing 
knowledge of your love. I see it already. I'm thankful to be a part that you've blessed me and allowed me the honor to be with them. Continue to use this church to show the love of Christ here on Long Island, Lord God, in their state, city, and to the ends of the earth. We thank you for Jesus Christ, that you loved us so much. You gave your son. What a joy. Now may we give that message of joy and love to a needy world for the honor and the glory of your name. Amen.